If you work for the federal government, which is a great privilege that I had for 18 years, where maybe you did in the past, maybe you're still working for them, you'll know that we have an annual performance review. And that's where you sit down with the, your higher up and you go over what is expected of you and how you're doing. And I think maybe there's intermediary ones throughout the year. You sit down and say, well, you're supposed to be doing this and you're doing that. And just wanted to point out to you that you haven't really been doing that and maybe you should work on that. And that's the way it goes. That's the way it should go. So there are very clear criteria as to what the expectations are in, in, your, in your work, in theory. So today I'd like us to look at the, the judgment seat of Christ, which is a, an ominous topic. And, but in a sense, it reminded me of that because there are some criteria that could be our eternal performance review. And we'll look at that a little bit today. And maybe you're saying, well, wait just a minute here. I, I, we're saved by grace and what's with the performance review? Well, that's true. We are saved by grace. And, uh, but sometimes I wonder if we're so bathing in the grace of God that we forget that the Lord has some expectations for us as his children. We're going to read about them today. And, uh, but to be clear, we are saved not through our own efforts, not through our own performance, but through the work of Christ on the cross. And as you know, a, a handful of us go out on Saturday afternoons and we talk to people about the gospel and we have a little survey and we ask them if they know they're going to heaven and a lot of people say they hope to and we ask them why they think they might be going to heaven and they'll say well i think i've done more good than bad and you know if there's if there's a god he probably should take me in but, and and it's amazing that's probably the one common denominator that's come through on these surveys but that's not how we get to heaven because unfortunately we've been corrupted by sin and we need a savior and we're here today to tell you that Christ died for our sins. And we can have the assurance of eternal life. And so there are two paths. We, I went through this actually a few weeks ago. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us his Holy Spirit. We live for Christ by his grace. And we're bound for heaven. And that's, that's our destination. And we can be sure of that. Folk who refuse the Lord, who don't want to believe in Christ, don't follow Christ, Unfortunately, their path is different, and it's not good. And they go eventually to the great white throne where they'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is a horrendous thing, but this is the word of God. But today we're talking, I want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ for believers. Most of you here today are believers in Christ. And there are some expectations for us from the Lord himself. Our key verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I believe it's on the screen. And uh, we, I'll read it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. So the, the judgment seat of Christ... <clears throat> It's not just a formality. It's not just a sort of a check-in, I'm good, you're good, and away we go. No, there will be some very frank discussions, maybe some unpleasant things that the Lord will have us to deal with. And, uh, but then we'll be on our way 
and to a blissful and wondrous eternity. But we read uh, that we must all appear, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's just commit our time then to the Lord in prayer. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that you have given us lots of things to do, lots of um, purpose in our Christian life. And there are things that you expect of us as Christians. And by your grace, we would like to hone in on that a little bit today and, and make some steps forward. So we just commit this time to you for your help and your direction in our Savior's precious name. Amen. So, just some characteristics of the judgment seat of Christ. First off, uh, it'll be fair because it's the Lord Jesus who's going to judge us. He's, uh, he'll be merciful and fair. And we'll, we will only be judged for the things that we've done since our conversion. You think of the Apostle Paul. You know that the Apostle Paul was, uh, he called himself the chief of all sinners. He persecuted the church. And he was full of hate in the name of religion. And God saved him. But he went on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who loved his appearing. The judgment seat of Christ will be thorough. It says we'll be judged thoroughly. We, there's the verb or the word appear. We will appear. And the notion here is that will be turned inside out and it'll be very thorough. It's also, it'll be impartial. We will be judged impartially. In Romans chapter two, verse 11, the Lord says this, God shows no impartiality. No preference will be given to the wealthy, to pastors, to missionaries. In fact, those who teach the word will be judged more severely, we read in James 3, 1. And we'll be judged individually. Romans 14, 10 to 12 says this, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Does that ever happen? Do we ever judge our brother, show a little contempt for our brother? For we shall all stand, he's talking to believers here, before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll each give an account of ourselves to God. And uh, But we will be judged graciously. God is our judge. Each man's praise will come to him from God. And certainly, our Christian life, we don't live it on our own strength. We live it by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I do have some handouts here. I'm going to ask Mark if you would come and help me with this. You can give these out uh, to folk. Appreciate it. We're going to look at a lot of uh, verses, and um, on the handout, you'll have the references, so you won't have to try and write them all down, and you'll see there are a lot of verses that talk about rewards. Now, let's be clear, when we get to heaven, there, there's no envy in heaven, 
There's no competition in heaven. We're not going to be jealous of this guy over here or this sister over here. So we are, our competition is with the Lord. It's between us and the Lord. But it's amazing how many times in the scripture we read from the mouths of the Lord Jesus, the mouth of the Lord Jesus, about rewards. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, do we take seriously what the Lord says? Does it matter to us what the Lord Jesus says? He had a lot to say, as does the whole word of God about a reward. Now, the thing about a reward is this, is that the option is there for us as believers to have that reward or to miss out on that reward. We're not talking about our salvation here, We're talking about rewards, rewards that we can have, rewards that we can cannot have. We miss out. So what can we gain? God has always rewarded the more faithful. Think of Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones of that first generation in the desert to enter the promised land. And even Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. They were all saved as it were out of Egypt, but they didn't all make it to the promised land. Colossians 3, now if you've got your, your handout, you'll see that's the first reference. Colossians 3, verses 23 to 25. I'm going to read the verse. We could do a whole sermon on any one of these verses. But uh, we won't today. We'll just get started. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will what? You will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done, and there's no partiality. You ever thought about that verse? The Lord asks us to do whatever we do, including our profession, including whatever it is we spend our time doing, to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And not to men. And the Lord will reward us, whatever it is we're doing, that we feel it's the Lord's will for us to do. I don't know what, you know, we have different professions here, different people with different daily occupations. We're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. The Lord will reward us. <laughs> but he also says, he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done. So if, if we don't do it right, somewhere in there, uh, we're going to miss out, right? That's what we read. If it, if it doesn't catch up with us before that day, uh, things will be regulated at the judgment seat of Christ. Matthew 19, 28 to 29, we read this. This is the story, remember, we read it recently when uh, Peter said, look, we, we've given up everything to follow you. What, what, what do we get? And the Lord says to him, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are, who are first will be last and the last first. 
Who's he saying? This is the Lord Jesus. He says that everyone who sacrificed a little bit even for the Lord, he's going to get a reward. He's going to get a reward in, in eternity. God is no man's debtor. He sees our sacrifice and he will reward us in this life and in the next. And the opposite's true as well. Revelation 2.26, church of Thyatira, they had a lot of some good things going on there and a lot of bad things going on. And the Lord says to him, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. He who overcomes, he who overcomes what? Well, we're all in a spiritual battle. And as Christians, we can give up or we can keep plugging away. And we can overcome by God's help. And he says, if you overcome, if we persevere, in this case, they're, they're giving more responsibility in the kingdom. Revelation 19, seven, verses 7 to 8. This is when the bride of Christ comes after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made him herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So our righteous acts make up the fine linen of our robe in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse, verses uh, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So <clears throat> the word of God is putting us here before eternal realities. And we live pretty comfortably here in North America for the most part. Well, this is the word of God that is true around the world, and there are places where Christians have very difficult lives. And perhaps you're going through difficulty yourself. But the Lord asks us to focus on eternal things, not just temporal things, but eternal things. Because there's going to be an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Far more important how we do eternally. So let's continue on. There are some things actually that we can lose. We can lose, the word of God warns us that we can lose certain things. And I'm borrowing this illustration from a book by the, written by a man named Erwin Lutzer. Give him credit for writing this down. I think it's a very pertinent illustration. So follow me. There's a story about a man who was trudging through a blistering desert, okay? He was faint with thirst. And to his delight, he came across a well with a pump. And next to the pump was a small jug of water with a sign, please use this water to prime the pump. The well is deep, so you will have enough water for yourself and your containers. Please fill the jug for the next traveler. So here's a man in the desert dying of thirst. And he comes across a jug of water. The sign says, pour that water out down the pump, down the well. So what do you do? 
you drink the water and say, well, who knows who, who wrote that sign? Who knows if he's lying or not? Could be lying, and I'm dying of thirst. Maybe I'll just drink the water now. So what does he do? It's, it's very similar sometimes to us with God's promises. Do we believe God's promises that he'll repay us if we take the risk of serving him with a whole heart? Or do we live as if it's only this life that counts? All right? If I give up the control of my life to God, I shall find it. If I maintain control, I'll lose it. That's what he's saying. In Matthew 10, verse 39, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Our Lord Jesus. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. So if we lose our life for his sake, we will find it. And if we find our life, in other words, we live our life without, without Christ, guess what? We'll lose it because we haven't lived for God. So pour the, pour the jug of water down the pump. First Corinthians chapter 3, we have another picture here. Uh, in verse 8, we have a metaphor, an agricultural metaphor. We read this. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And get this. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God promises a reward for those who work for him. And then he continues on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. I'll read them for you. I have the reference written down for you so you can find it later. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he'll receive what? A reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we're promised salvation. And we're promised a home in heaven. But if we do the work of the Lord properly, led by the Spirit of God, we'll also have a reward. I used to think this, this verse, these, this passage sort of referred primarily to people who just kind of given up on their Christian life and well, they'll get saved as by fire. But in essence, he's talking about Christian workers here. <laughs> he's talking about himself. He's saying, look, pay attention as to how you do the work of the Lord here. Because in all aspects of the work of the Lord, as uh, missionaries, elders, teachers, whatever, we can do it spiritually, led by God's Holy Spirit. Or we can just do it mechanically. We can do it like God didn't exist. And we're exhorted to search out the, the will of God, and to do it uh, led by his Holy Spirit. And there'll be a reward for that. But if we do it, we don't do it in the right way, in God's way, then there will be no reward. We'll lose out. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, we know this verse, talks about the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is why we encourage everybody to read the word of God, let the word of God discern our path and judge us. And then he says this, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom what? To whom we must give account. To him we must give account. And God is there. He knows our motives, our thoughts, our intentions. And uh, he's on our side. Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. Here's a um, very interesting word, verse from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. He says this. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So when is this day of judgment that he's referring to? I suggest that for Christians, he's referring to the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll have to, we'll have a little review of some of the thoughtless and hurtful words we, we give out to people, and we'll, we'll have opportunity to repent of that. That's my understanding. Much better if we do it ahead of time, of course. Uh, and God is always ready to forgive us. But as we know, words are important. Words can bless and words can injure, right? God's concerned about how we speak. So, moving on in our texts here. Another very interesting section in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. Whoops, I can't keep up with my slides here. There we go. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 5. The Apostle Paul, he says this, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified because of this. But he who judges me is the Lord. He says, look, I have a clean conscience. But then he says, you know what, maybe I'm mistaken. <laughs> He was humble enough to say maybe his personal judgment of himself wasn't right, but it was God who judges. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. He will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul wasn't really overly concerned about what other folk might be saying about him because he didn't even trust his own judgment of himself, let alone somebody else's. I'm sure he took correction when it was due, if he needed it. Another, another story. How are we doing here? Another interesting verse here. I don't know if you ever thought about this. In Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, we read this: "Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place, to, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in this passage, we read that God will punish those who deserve it at some point in time. He will correct them. We don't have to do it. Our duty is to love, to go ahead, to do good, and to leave it in God's hands. What about when Christians, unfortunately, um, at some point have issues 
and there's unresolved conflict. And we go into eternity with an unresolved conflict. <laughs> I, I suggest to you that these conflicts will be resolved at the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe, maybe you don't agree with me. We can talk about it later. But all these things, God says that he will, he will repay. He doesn't repay on this earth. When's he going to repay? There'll be a discussion, I suggest to you, with the things that when we were troublesome and we were causing trouble and getting people in trouble, well, God's going to talk, God's going to deal with us someday, even as believers. He just doesn't let things slide. Remember, we're not talking about our salvation here. We're in heaven. But it's not a blind eye. Now we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 to 32, we read this this morning. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So this applies to the Lord's Supper and, and being sloppy about the things of the Lord. And, but there's a principle here that if we, if the Lord shows us where we've done wrong through the, through the ministry of his word to our hearts and we confess it and we make things right, I suggest that we won't have to review that at the judgment seat of Christ. But for the things that we have neglected, uh, there'll be a discussion. Moving on, in Matthew 25, this is the parable of the talents. We, we looked at that recently. And we have the story of the man who had one talent. Now, there are people who think that this man who had one talent, he, he obviously wasn't a Christian. There are other commentators, good commentators, Christians, who think, well, no, this man was a Christian because there's an exhortation to use what we have for the Lord. And the Lord says to him, you, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered. You ought to have deposited my money with bankers and so on. And there is um, there's regret because he lost the approval of his master. And then, we, then we, we go on. There's another very interesting verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. We read this. Follow me now. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now we know the story of Peter who denied the Lord. He repented of it. He was forgiven. And we have opportunities. Sometimes we deny the Lord. Does that mean we lose our salvation? No, we don't. But does that mean God is happy with us when we deny the Lord? No, he's not happy with us at all. And, but he remains faithful, and he will, he will help us with that. In Mark 8, chapter 38, verse 38, we read this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed, for when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, the Lord, I suggest to you, is he doesn't just turn a blind eye to our, 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 our bad behavior. No, he wants us to walk with him, keep short accounts with him, and serve him well. And... Uh, and where we need some correction on that, well, well, we'll get that at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll also get rewards. So what is Christ 
looking for? What is Christ looking for? <clears throat> We've got down here uh, 10 things. Joyful acceptance of injustice. In Matthew 5, verses 11 to 12, we read this. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is what? Great is your reward in heaven. You're going to have a reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so on. Moving on. Financial generosity in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're exhorted to invest with our money in eternity. What are you saying, right? We can lay up treasures in heaven by using our money for the work of the Lord or anything that's in God's will. Hospitality. Luke 14, 12 to 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just be paid. Matthew 10, 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive what? A prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he who gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now, maybe some of you are saying, listen, I don't care about rewards. I just, I'm just happy to go to heaven and sit in the back row and, you know, I'll be fine there. I don't need rewards. But remember, there's no competition in heaven. There's no, there's no I'm better than you in heaven. But these rewards are, they go a little further than just an outward symbol. It's a, and that would be an interesting, what is the essence of these rewards that God is going to give us? Some have suggested that perhaps we'll have a greater appreciation of heaven. We'll have uh, more of something. But in essence, it's our relationship with the Lord because we serve the Lord. It'll be our love to the Lord and his, his reciprocation to us, his saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That'd be enough, wouldn't it? Spiritual disciplines in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, we we read this, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. What does he say? He says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. <laughs> and if we read on, we'd see that the opposite of this is true. When we do things for God only, we get a reward. Faithfulness in our vocation, we've already looked at that. There's a reward for doing a good job. Number six, faithfulness, uh, loving the unlovable. Luke chapter 6, 27 to 31. I'm going to read also verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And what does it say? It says, your reward will be great, 
and you'll be the sons of the Most High. Doctrinal integrity, 2 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose these things, those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full what? Reward. That we may receive a full reward. So there's rewards to be had, brothers and sisters. And if the Lord has, has given it to us in this language, it's something to aspire to. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the apostle Paul, he says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Certainly when, when, when Paul gets to heaven, he gets, He's going to see folk there that he had led to the Lord. That will be his reward. Waiting for Christ's return, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Once again, a reward for loving the Lord and following him and waiting for his returning. Acceptance of suffering, 1 Peter 1, 6, verse 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory when at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so on. There is, God understands our situation, and he has... He takes it into account. And when we live for him through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a reward. Now, here's another illustration. And again, I, I, I'm thankful to Erwin Litzer for providing this. There's a story about a frustrated basketball coach. True story. His name was Cotton Fitzsimons. And he hit on an idea to motivate his team. And before the game, he gave them a speech that centered around the word pretend. He said, gentlemen, when you go out there tonight, instead of remembering that we're in last place, pretend we're in first place. Instead of being in a losing streak, pretend we're in a winning streak. And instead of this being a regular game, pretend it's a playoff game. And with that, the team went out onto the basketball court and they were soundly beaten by the Boston Celtics. <laughs> and Coach Fitzsimons was upset about the loss, but one of the players came up and slapped him on the back and said, cheer up, Coach, pretend we won. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Oh, I've not been very good on this thing, have I? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, for we, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, 
not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul often refers to the Christian life as a discipline, like an athletic contest. And whatever makes a winning athlete will make a winning Christian. So do we apply the same principles to the same discipline, the same energy, the same focus to our Christian life that we would in any other area of our life? In Greece, you had to be a citizen to participate in the game. Well, we're, we're in the game. We're citizens of the Lord. But you don't run this race to heaven. You run this race to get the prize. So we're not competing to get into heaven. We're, we're there. But we're competing with ourselves. We're competing to bring glory to God. So guess what? There's a need for discipline by the grace of God. This isn't by our own human effort, but it's an effort all the same through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a need for self-control. Think of Samson. He failed the race through lack of self-control. Many people are gifted, but they don't want to pay the price to compete. There are many ways to fail in the Christian life, but they all start with a lack of discipline. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you had to be on dialysis every day for kidney failure, you'd find a way to do it, wouldn't you? We need to draw our strength from the Lord, but we need to, in essence, quit pretending and be serious about our Christian life. There needs to be direction. Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I don't run with uncertainty. And only those that run to the finish line have a chance. If they run all over the place, they'll be wasting their energy. Paul's Paul says, consider the boxer. He doesn't just punch any old bear, right? And I think sometimes we can be like that, right? No, no real spiritual goals, no real, no real plan, no real destiny in mind. We're just kind of cruising around, right? And then he says to run with determination. And we read in, verse, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, listen to this. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that what? He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there we have it. We're saved by grace. Let's be clear. We can't earn our way to heaven. But God wants us to serve him in a very focused way. And when we do that, there'll be rewards. And if we don't, well, guess what? Opportunity cost. We'll lose the reward. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, this notion is not a new thought. I just discovered this verse the other day in reading in Ecclesiastes. For, and this is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Sounds exactly like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, right? For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There will be a reward for all those who by the Spirit of God serve God and um, live for him. You know, the other day I was sitting on my front porch, which I do from time to time, and I was watching, like I do, the 
younger people go jogging by. And, and I believe it or not, I used to jog and uh, know something about it. And I had to sit there and think, well, you know what? I'm never going to be able to do that again. I'm 72. I'm not going to be able to do that. It's a solemn thing. Those of you who are my age, you probably thought these thoughts. But here's what's interesting for those of us who are losing our physical capabilities. And that is this. There's another race to be run that's even more interesting, that's even better. And all of us, no matter what stage we are at in life, we can live for God today through the power of his spirit. And we can, we can gain rewards for eternity today, each and every one of us. No matter what our station in life is, no matter what our physical capabilities are, we can live for God through the power of his spirit and be pleasing to our Lord Jesus. That's why he's left us here. Sometimes I, I've heard older people say, why did he leave me here? What, what am I be doing? Well, the Lord gives us, each one of us, when we look to him, things to do through the power of his spirit. And when we do that, he takes note and he will reward us. But keep in mind, and I'll repeat it again, we're not saved through our works. Let's be clear about that. We're not saved through our works. We're saved through the work of Christ. But once we are saved and we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Lord expects us to live for him. And he's given us a lot of motivation to do that. Our blessed God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us by your grace to uh, listen to what you say to us in your word and to take it seriously. We're thankful that in Christ we have all things and in Christ we can, we can live in a way that is pleasing to you. And we just commit ourselves to you. I pray that you'll bless your word to our hearts. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for your attention.